So 2023, woohoo. So anyone else keep saying 2033 like I do? Even on the keypad, I keep putting 2033 instead of 2023. So if I say 2033, forgive me. But anyway, so this year, I just want to say that the last maybe two, three years since 2020, it's felt like a bit of a tidal wave that came from nowhere that shook us all. And we were all kind of, whoo, what was that? And I feel like 2023 is time not to be buffeted anymore, but to stand up, to look at those waves and to say, stop. And as a church in the nation globally, that's what we need to do. It's time for the church to rise up. And one way that we can do that is through prayer. And we want 2023 to be a time where we start to be mobilized in prayer, where we get a passion to pray as Jesus taught us and to know the power of our prayers. I just want to say to us as a church this year, we're going after Jesus like never before. We're going after him as our king, as our Lord, as our savior, as the real leader of this church. We're going after him and his ways. And we can have all the other stuff, every different choice, every single life decision laid out before us. But if it's not got Jesus at the center, throw it aside, say no to it, and say in your heart to the Lord, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so I just want to say, um, I'd love you to say that three times with me. We're going to say it all out loud. And it's going to be a sign of us saying right at the top of the year, right at the beginning of 2023, as for me, as for those I live with, as for my church family, as for how we're living in the world at the moment, we're going to serve the Lord. And so I want to pray, Holy Spirit, would you ignite this year this morning how you want it to be ignited we want to pray as you taught us that it would be your kingdom coming and your will being done in our lives and for whatever path is laid out before us we want to say together as your people and let's say together as for me and my house we will serve the Lord let's say it again as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. Let's say it one last time. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Jesus, we welcome you to reign, to rule, to be King and Lord of our lives again. Fill this church with your glory, we pray. Fill our lives with your presence. Fill us like never before. Reveal to us the majesty of who you are. We bow before you and we welcome you. This is your year, Jesus. This is your church, Jesus, and we're your people, Jesus. faith is not about just singing songs. Our faith is about the walked out every day, eyes fixed on Jesus, following him at all costs, no matter what. And so I'd love us all just now, just two minutes before the Lord at the start of this new year, and just maybe throw off the old stuff and fix our eyes, fix our gaze on Jesus, the Lord, the giver of life. And let's just do a transaction in our hearts, in our bodies, in our minds, in our spirit. And give our all. As we are singing, giving our all to him, let's do it individually, just before him now. And Jesus, we want to be people of our word. We want to be people who don't just sing the songs, but mean it with our whole lives. And so at the start of this new year, would you untangle us, set us free from the things that have held us back from pursuing you more dearly. Set us free. And maybe may we be people who forget what is behind and run towards you. Run towards you with everything just flying off as we run towards you in freedom, in thankfulness. We do surrender to you, Jesus.
We live for you. Clean our hearts, purify our hearts. Fill us with your spirit, strengthen our faith. Give us courage. But it's all for you, for the glory of your name. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. we love you. We enthrone you in our lives and in this church. Amen. So the reading is taken from Luke chapter 2 uh, and we are beginning to read at verse 22. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought the child of Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, living word, would you come and divide soul from spirit and would you teach us and guide us into your ways in the name of Jesus. Amen. But if you are new amongst us, or you've forgotten, uh, we've, we've just found ourselves six weeks, we find ourselves today six weeks into uh, an 18-month series going through Luke's Gospel. We're not missing out any verses. Um, we're going to come into land at the end of April 2024, and straight away in the beginning of May 24, we're going to jump straight into Luke Part 2, which is the Book of Acts. And then we're going to follow that through until the beginning of 2026, unless Jesus returns. Uh, So that's the plan. Um, And I think think really the heart behind this is to first look at Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, and then look at Jesus' body, the church, so more Jesus really, in the book of Acts. Primarily because I know my own heart, that I love to twist God to fit and conform into the shape I'd like him to be. Um, whereas if he's God, really he should be twisting my heart 
to conform and fit into the shape that I was purposed to be. And so the reason for going to his word is to see and to, and to really look at it in detail, verse by verse, is so that we're not creating a sense of Jesus that sort of fits into you know, our, our lives. So that's our heart behind it. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, a very moving story, which is perfect, uh, as my voice breaks, perfect for the beginning of January, because you can feel the sort of darkness uh, surrounding the people of God, into which an elderly man illuminates who this child Jesus is, barely 40 days after his birth. And we'll get there in just a moment. I want to ask two questions this morning as we look at this passage. And the first question uh, is perhaps something you've been thinking about on a personal level as it's the new year. But I want to ask you this question for us as a church. What on earth are we doing? What on earth... That's where we exist until Jesus returns and makes a new earth and a new heavens. This is where we are. What on earth are we doing? And we may be resetting our lives and we find ourselves as a church in a month of prayer. You can find our daily calendar um, on the website and sent out by email. We're going to get ourselves ready and in Lent, I love this time of year. I've got to say, I love, I love Christmas, but I'm pleased when it's out of the way. Because I, I feel like it's kind of like, yeah, we can get to the proper stuff of seeking the Lord. And when we get to the end of January, we've got a couple of weeks off. <laughs> and then we're going to jump into Lent, 40 days of prayer and fasting. And we're going to seek, seek the Lord together. Um, so this month is more personal. Lent is really about corporately seeking the Lord together. Um, and we'll talk more about that as we go forwards. What on earth are we doing? And a much more important question because, I, again, I know that I so easily can think of my life, my passions, my dreams, my new priorities, da da da, my, 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 my. A much bigger and much more important question is what on earth is God doing? Because when God is speaking and when God is calling and when God is moving, the implications is that I need to fit into what he's doing rather than him trying to make my life better. And when I come into his story, my life, of course, becomes what it always should be and it is much better, even if it at first feels more uncomfortable. And I want to ask the question, what on earth is God doing? Because I think, fortuitously, without planning, we've got a few clues in this passage and we'll come to that in just a moment. So Jesus is brought by Joseph and Mary up to Jerusalem, away from their hometown, and he's presented in the temple. And there's two things going on, uh, and we'll come to the focus of this passage, which is Simeon and his taking of Jesus and prophesying over him in just a moment. But, but just a couple of uh, uh, keys, if you like, as to why Joseph and Mary go up to Jerusalem. It's because, and we have it four times in this passage, they are doing everything according to the law. Joseph and Mary follow God. They follow the law. And, this, and there's two things going on as to why they need to go to Jerusalem. The first is found in Leviticus chapter 12, and the second is found in Exodus chapter 13. They would have known that, and that motivates their action to go to Jerusalem and to offer Jesus. They also offer sacrifice. And we find in verse 23, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. That's Exodus chapter 13. Now Exodus 13 is where God's people are just being released from Egypt, from Pharaoh who refused to let them go until God twisted his arm with multiple plagues, including the killing of the firstborn. And in Exodus 13, it lays down the principle that to remember God's deliverance from tyranny, God's deliverance from evil, 
God's leading of his people into freedom, every family, if they have a male, is to offer him as the firstborn, as an offering to God. And so Jesus being Joseph and Mary's first child, obviously, they come and offer their child to the Lord in accordance with the principle laid down in Exodus 13. Now then, what we find in 24, and they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now I know that you woke up this morning and you thought to yourself, reading ahead in Luke, I wonder what the two turtle doves and two pigeons mean. That was foremost in your minds and you're wondering what on earth you know, God was doing and all of that. What on earth is, is he doing? Well, again, this takes us to Leviticus 12. Because in Leviticus 12, according to the law, which is designed to enable God's people to be pure, clean and holy as a light to the nations, after childbirth, a mother would quarantine herself, incarcerate herself for 40 days and then be required to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice for her purification. So not only are they offering Jesus, they're offering a sacrifice for Mary to be pure and to, be, uh, and to offer that sacrifice that, that the law laid down in Leviticus 12. But what's interesting you say, James, tell us more about these turtle doves. And I say, well, my people, I will tell you. Um, okay, so if you read Leviticus 12, what you have to offer is a lamb and a pigeon. Unless you're poor. If you're poor and you can't afford a lamb, you can offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. Now Luke, as a precise historian, doesn't want us to miss this. And he wants us to understand that Joseph and Mary offered what they could. But clearly, they were offering from their circumstances as a poor family. Now Luke wants us not to miss this, and this is going to come time and again, thumping us around the head. We call this in Mary's song in chapter 1. When God is moving... The proud are scattered in the imagination of their hearts. The, the powerful are thrown down from their thrones. But the lowly are lifted up and the hungry are fed. What you've got, Luke is going to come time and again, this topsy-turvy, upside-down kingdom where in the world's eyes, the powerful, the elite, those with status, those from the right backgrounds, those with material resources are no use really, according to what God is doing. Now, I don't mean no use, but there's a choice because God is working for those who are free of all that to be hungry for him. Uh, Luke is going to sharpen Matthew's... Do you remember in Matthew's Gospel how he tells us Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? And right off the bat in the Beatitudes it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Well, thumping us around the head, in Luke chapter 6, we're going to have Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. And let's, just setting aside the who is right and the historicity for a minute, but Luke in chapter 6 will tell us that Jesus taught us, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now why is that? Because to be rich according to Jesus is a very, very, very difficult thing to endure and to enter the kingdom. Do you remember Jesus' words? It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. Why is that? Because the more we have, the more stuff around us, the more our hearts are taken away from a tunnel vision devotion to the Lord. In 1 Timothy, Paul, Paul says, Beware the rich who, who, who wither away amidst a busy life. I think that might be James chapter 1, not 1 Timothy. But it's the same emphasis. There's, there's stuff around. You know, I know people who have loads and loads, and they're, they're so distracted, there's so much pressure and stress, and it pulls our hearts away from being devoted to the Lord. 
Now, you and I in this room are all the rich on planet Earth. I know, even saying that, that there are people in our community who will be concerned even about making bills, uh, making payment for their bills by the end of the month. I know that, you know, in our community and in our villages, that there is real material hardship. But when you look at planet Earth, we are the wealthy, we are the rich. And so our challenge, straight off the bat, from Luke's attention to bringing us this, is we cannot let the narrative of the world, which is money, 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 stuff, 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 cloud our lives from single-minded devotion to the Lord. I was uh, talking to our uh, kids, um, who are almost all teenagers, and I was was trying to be culturally relevant, Uh, so I was saying... uh, um, you know, um, I was saying, you know, what, what are what are, te- like, what are your mates at school who aren't Christians? What are their dreams? What are their aspirations? Like, what are people longing for in our day? And do you know what they said? All our mates just want to be rich because they think that if they're rich, they'll be happy. It's such an empty, empty dream and when you and I take our stand for Jesus then we have to be the people who say take the world but give me him we are a kingdom of priests and in the Old Testament it said the priestly order didn't get payment, they didn't get inheritance because the Lord was their portion so it's like take, take all this stuff, boom doesn't matter if I'm in plenty or I'm in, in zero because he is my portion and he is my prize. All right? <laughs> I just think it's so important where we live in one of the most affluent places in our country that we are not going to be ensnared by the desire and the lust for earthly riches. We're shooting for riches stored in another place, aren't we? In heaven. Okay, all right. Now then we come to the focus of this passage, which is Simeon's entrance into um, the temple just at the time that Joseph and Mary have also come in bringing Jesus. And Simeon, um, and we'll look at him in just a moment, comes in and they have this encounter, very moving one. But let's just step back for just a moment and consider the context. The context here is that for 400 years, there's been no prophetic voice in Israel. In, in Israel. They've had no verified messages from God to his people. Silence for 400 years. Not only that, they are occupied by the Roman Empire. An empire we know from history which was violent, highly oppressive, and ruthlessly seeking to enculturate its uh, conquered inhabitants. It wasn't just a, hey, the Romans rule, now live your life. No, they are seeking to enculturate and enforce their customs, their their ways, their laws upon the conquered inhabitants of the empire. Thirdly, we find a people with the odd zealot popping up, but largely backslidden, lukewarm, through the despair at the seemingly loss of their promises because of the Roman occupation amongst the Jewish people. Now, that's the context. It's incredibly difficult to say, isn't that context similar to 21st century West Sussex? Okay, because in those 2,000 years, there's tons. There's definitely no iPhones. There's definitely no Instagram. And there's, you know, all of that stuff. It's incredibly difficult. But let me just set a little bit of context about where we find ourselves in January in 2023. 2,000 years ago, 400 years of prophetic messages. We have got, we're saturated with online prophetic messages. And yet, do you not feel that it's almost as if actually God is silent? Because it's just like noise, and yet there's nothing cutting like a hot knife through butter on what God is saying. Do you feel like that over the last three years? 
Secondly, we might live in a, in a liberal Western democracy, but there is a totalitarian, oppressive, cultural assault upon the inhabitants here, seeking to not, not just conform, but squeeze us into the values, the ways, the customs of 21st century kind of Western society. Our, our teenagers said it there, I just want to be rich, because basically communism's failed, so capitalism, which is about the free market, making money, uh, if you make money, you're rich, you're happy. There it is. This is what's going on. You know, we're going to find again and again through Luke the rebalancing of the role of women. You know, in, in a moment, or in seven days, David Ingalls is going to speak to us about Anna, the prophetess, who, when she hit her tragedy, ran to the temple and gave 84 years to fasting and prayer to see the Lord. But Luke wants us to see that alongside Simeon, there's Anna. <laughs> alongside Zechariah, there's Elizabeth. Alongside Joseph, who doesn't seem to get it, is Mary. You know, it's the rebalancing here. And yet we're living in a day and age where the subjugation of women has gone underground through the, through the disgrace and horror of pornography. This is, where, this is where we live, and it is coming at everybody through technology. And it is seeking to conform us to its values and ways and to bow down and worship the God of this age. Finally, the third thing, backslidden people through disappointment and all of those things. By any single statistic or survey, be it the census that came out recently, did everybody see that? The stats of believing Christians in this country is plummeting. You look at internal church stuff, it says the same. Starkly amongst children, young people and young adults. I saw a survey recently that just in this country, forget America or anywhere else, in this country, 48% of ministers across the, jet, the denominations since 2020 have seriously considered resigning. They're not a retirement age, have seriously considered resigning because they're exhausted, wrung out, and in despair. Now, I want to set that context because we have to see, in their context 2,000 years ago, all seemed lost, and yet God is on the move. And I just want to say to you this morning, I'm going to come back to this in a few moments, this may be the context by I'm telling you, God is powerfully on the move. But it's almost like the natural world situation that we find ourselves in. Right now, in January, in the dark, it looks like nothing is growing and everything is barren. And yet, actually, if you go on Winter Watch, which I never do, so I don't even know if it would do this. Do they have a Winter Watch? Okay, anyway. What I do know is that on the surface, it looks barren, it looks dead. But under the surface, under the soil right now, all the roots are blossoming, all they're all blooming, they're all starting to grow. And in a couple of months' time, we'll begin to see that. And that's exactly what's happening here. They've heard nothing for 400 years, and then suddenly Simeon, uh, Simeon collides with Jesus. Right now in 2023, it seems like nothing is going on, it's all going down the tubes, but I'm telling you, God is on the move, powerfully. But it's not in a kind of trumpet blast, I mean, we had John's trumpet this morning, but it isn't that, it isn't in national announcements and ra-da-da, big program, da 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 it is... It is almost in the invisible, in the dark, but the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully. And, I, and so, I just want to say to us all this morning, what on earth are you, are you doing? <laughs> what on earth are we doing? And what on earth is God doing? And we'll return to that in just a moment. Are you alright? I'll tell you what, I am burning for Jesus this morning, so just strap, strap yourself in. <laughs> now, there was a man in, there, there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Here's the description we have about him. This man was righteous and devout. This man had set himself apart. He had consecrated his life to the Lord. No mixture. No Jesus fitting into my world. This man was righteous and devout. Why? What was he looking for? What was the vision of his life? What on earth was Simeon doing? <laughs> 
He was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Now we miss consolation in that particular translation because we think it's like, you know, kind of um, a sort of comfort blanket or something. He's looking forward to Israel, you know, having a little teddy bear just to cuddle it and just, it's it's all going to be okay. The word in the original language is the redemption. And what that points to, redemption, is how you would purchase a slave, a slave at the end of their service in the Roman Empire would be able to be redeemed by paying a price to become a freed person. So Simeon's one vision in life is that he's looking forward to the redemption of Israel, the freedom of Israel, the setting free of God's people to become who they were meant to be, to exist in the land with God at the centre, shining his light to all the nations so all the nations could know this is their God, this is his ways, and we are his people. And Simeon is looking forward to that. He's got no other vision in his life. And we'll come back to that in a few moments. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. Which is a stunning phrase. Because we tend to remember how the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus. Here's a guy, pre-Jesus, pre-cross, pre-resurrection, pre-Pentecost. And he's got the Holy Spirit resting on him. Now here's a little clue for us. If, don't you, oh my goodness, don't you just want to have the Holy Spirit resting on you? Never quench, never grieve, you know, just all of that. And, and I, I think, I just want to say to you, and please hear me, I, this is, I'm saying to myself, first and foremost, one of our church values is revival starts with me. So thank you for coming, but really I'm preaching to myself this morning. <laughs> um, it, it's nice that you turned up, but really this is primarily for me. Um, but don't we just say, well, the Holy Spirit's in me. And then we just go into autopilot as a 21st century citizen. Uh. Simeon was righteous and devout. It's the Holy Spirit. So if we want to move from just kind of stumbling through as Christians to, to allowing God to send us out in the power of his Spirit, then maybe we should take a leaf out of Simeon's book and become righteous, devout, and set apart. So that we can actually partner with what he is doing as he wants to lead our lives. Rather than having this sort of comforting teddy bear under our... Anyway. Uh, And Simeon had the goal of his life for the redemption of Israel. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. That he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now just put yourself in his shoes. You know... We don't know when the Holy Spirit said to Simeon, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah. Bear in mind, they'd been waiting for 400 years. So Simeon's parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, they'd all been waiting, longing for the Messiah who hadn't come. And when the Holy Spirit says to Simeon, can you imagine the months, the years, the decades? Because we find this guy now as an old man still shooting for that same vision of the redemption, the setting right of Israel. And he hadn't walked away. He hadn't thrown it aside. He hadn't doubted what God had said. He hadn't moved to a different, well, we tried that and it didn't quite work out. He hadn't found a different whatever. No, he'd been told by the Holy Spirit and he believed and he waited on God. And on this particular day, the Holy Spirit said, you need to go to the temple. And he comes into the temple, and this teenage girl offering her two turtle doves or two pigeons for the sacrifice, this poor girl. And Joseph, probably a bit awkward, you know, um, it's just not how it should have been. And Jesus being presented to the Lord, and Simeon somehow sees this is the Messiah. Because he bursts out in this prophetic song. Oh, and he's not even talking to them now. He's talking to God. Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace. Can you imagine God giving you a vision that took, and we don't know the timing, but we know he's an old man. We do know the timing for for God's people there. 400 years. 
But can you imagine being promised something and then finally taking Jesus in your arms, taking the fulfillment of the promise in your arms and knowing now you can go to your grave because the vision's being fulfilled. Master, you're dismissing me in peace. According to your word, for now, holding this baby, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Simeon's saying, here even now, this is for everybody. We don't know how many were in the temple. We know Joseph and Mary were there. We know Jesus was there. We know Simeon was there. Anna's about to come in. We don't know how many were there, but this is, for, this is universal. This is for Jew, for Gentile, to the ends of the earth. You prepared this in the sight of all peoples. This tiny, unseen thing is going to go out and it's going to reach everywhere. You know, what God is doing may not be nationally visible, but it is going to be turning around and transforming and it's going to be seen everywhere. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Here is an elderly, devout Jewish man suddenly getting what took Peter 12 chapters in Acts to realize that the gospel was for everybody. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Here he is. And for glory to your people Israel. And of, of course, rightly so, 33, the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Wouldn't you be? They've already had shepherds. They've already had... Um, they haven't had the wise men yet, have they? They come along at some point, according to Matthew. But anyway, um, they've had all these things. They've had Gabriel appearing to them. And now Simeon declares in the heart of Judaism, the Messiah's here, salvation's here, the Gentiles are in, glory's coming to Israel. Wow. And they're amazed. And then here's the shadow, which you get right throughout Luke's Gospel. This is far from 21st century self-help. Everything's going to go abundantly if we just, you know, ask Jesus to bless our plans. I'm sorry. I've just taken a baseball bat to that garbage. Because read the Bible. Read the Bible. If we... Oh, let me just see, see what it says first. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel. To be a sign that will be opposed. So that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. Do you know why Jesus, whenever he was asked questions, asked the question back? Because Jesus constantly brings people to the valley of decision. To the crossroads of decision. They'll ask him all sorts of stuff and he'll say... But what do you say? Because he's a, he is a sign that will be opposed and he'll bring out the inner thoughts. They'll be set on display. You know, three and a half years of discipleship training and just before Jesus goes to the cross, all they're arguing about is who's going to sit on his right and who's going to sit on his left. Their inner thoughts come out. They come out. Peter's like, I'll follow you to the end. I'll die for you. Jesus says, in a few hours, you're going to deny me. Because what happened to Jesus is that the inner thoughts came out and were revealed. Can I just say something that would really help me, because I'm preaching to myself this morning, revival starts with me, become more spiritually mature. When we feel spiritually uncomfortable... There's one of three things that are happening. It's either our own woundedness that is flaring up within and making us feel roughly. Or it's the enemy breathing his voice into our ears. And we know what his voice sounds like. Fear, condemnation, dread, da-da-da-da-da. Or it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit displacing stuff in our hearts. Now, it's incredibly hard sometimes to distinguish what's what. I think the enemy always sounds horrible. 
But if we feel spiritually ruffled, sometimes it's because Jesus is on the move. And we need to, if we're feeling like that, just simply ask the Holy Spirit, show me what's going on. Show me. Is it the enemy? Is it my wounded flesh? Or is it you, Lord? And if you can't distinguish it, find someone who is solid in the Lord, who loves you enough to speak the truth to you in love and test it out. And that's how we're going to become mature. But I just want to say this. For God's kingdom to come, it doesn't come and just... um, uh, Lost my train of thought. If we're serious about the kingdom and the gospel... We must know that there will be confrontation and conflict somewhere. Think about the Acts church flowing in the power and glory and authority of God. Jerusalem couldn't cope with them after eight chapters, and it had to just spit them out, just get them out. Ah, just get it away. Sometimes when we're serving Jesus, stuff flares up. We haven't done anything wrong. It's just that the kingdom of heaven is beginning to collide with the kingdom of darkness. And it brings out all that stuff, including demons and the wailing banshees of hell. (laughs) And sometimes it doesn't mean that we're doing anything wrong. It just is. And if we're following the Holy Spirit, we can find his path through that. But if we want a quiet, comfortable life, we've come to the wrong God and we've come to the wrong place. Now, let me put this together. What on earth are we doing? Or hopefully, trying to follow what God is doing. What on earth is God doing? Let me focus on Simeon for just a moment. Simeon had a single-eyed tunnel vision call to see the redemption of Israel. Jerusalem, Israel, the people set right. I just want to say to you here today at the start of 2023, we have been given a call as a church which is to see the kingdom of God transforming this land through the church, cascading from the church, hitting the every single entity that exists in our communities, every household, every way that life works. And it pains me to say that we've seen what this looks like. And we're going to read it in a couple of years when we go through the book of Acts. What you see in the book of Acts is the body of Christ operating, matching the head of the church, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Acts 2 and onwards, what we find is the church Utterly united. One in heart and mind. Not playing to people's preferences or whatever. United, spiritually. Deeply different. Greeks, Jews, everyone in between. Male, female, slaves, free, all of that. Deeply different, but utterly united. A church which so was unencumbered from material possessions that if there were any in need... They would sell property and provide. They would sell property and provide even for the wasters. Even for those who are bad with their money. Even for those who messed up. They just knew we're we're the community of God. We provide. That's what we do. Miracles were occurring daily. Salvation was occurring daily. Awe was upon them. Holy reverence and awe. Do you remember the description in Acts chapter 5? It says that there's a contradiction. It says that the whole city was afraid of them. And yet, people were being added daily. It's like, I'm so terrified of you, and yet I can't stay away. Lord. <laughs> um, it's, uh, do you see what I mean? It's like all was upon them. Not, not to big them up and make them feel proud, but because God, Jesus, was reigning. He was active. He was authoritative. He was splendid in power and might with his people, with his church. The body was just like the head. They devoted themselves to prayer, 
to breaking bread. It was in their homes. It wasn't even just a church thing. They came together. They loved coming together. They, didn't, they weren't stopped from coming together, but they also lived it out at home, in their homes with glad and sincere hearts. They, this was, revival starts with me, and then I get the privilege of doing it with my brothers and sisters at church. It's like, I'm, I'm not going away from them. I can't do it without them. I love them. I just want to be with them. And I'm living it out of her home. They devoted themselves to the word, to the teaching, to the breaking of bread, to, the, to what we sung about this morning. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flowing down. My goodness, we fix our eyes on the cross as we celebrate in bread and wine. And then we say, take the world, but give me Jesus with a whole realm of nature mine. It's, it, it's not enough to tell you, so take my life, my soul, my all. This is what they were like. And, and for, for some reason, we find ourselves not living in that reality. And I'm telling you what, God is calling a generation of Simeons who are going to say, I am going to see the church become what the church should be. Not to stay in the church, but to become the church for the sake of the world. And what that means, what that looks like, is that we... Um, uh, let, me, let, me just say, let me just answer this question another way. What on earth is God doing? He, God, the Father, is presenting Jesus to his church. I fully believe that. And some are going to say yes, and some are going to go, it's not for me, it's all too hard. Because of the cultural collision and the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in in the Western world. But I tell you what, as for me in my house, I'm following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. And what's going to happen is because God is offering Jesus and what Jesus commanded, not even Jesus, my boyfriend. It's like Jesus, according to who he is, not who I think he is, and what he commanded in his word. He's offering this to the church. And some of the church is going to go, whoa, 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 whoa. And we pray for them, we love them, and we'll throw the biggest slayed fatted calf whenever there's a restoration, there's a return home. But he's offering Jesus to the church. And we are being called to be like Simeon and go, oh my goodness, there he is. I'm going to worship him and celebrate him because he is all in all. And when he's offered to the church, he is then coming to reign and rule with authority and power and splendor and majesty. And it's going to be in love. It's going to be full of love. It's going to be full of love just emanating from his heart. But I'm telling you what, so to answer the question in one sentence, what on earth is God doing? He's giving his glory to the church in the coming years. And in the, I think this is, this is what's going on. And where the enemy has put his foot on the throat of the church globally, it's happening beneath the surface. And the church is going to be rising up. The church is coming. The church is coming. The church is coming. And what that looks like we're going to find ourselves in a situation where we're going to get to the stage when we gather where you lead the first chorus and then the Holy Spirit leads us for an hour of singing in the Spirit. Now we're not going to conjure that up. We're going to let him come as the principal conductor of our worship and lead us. That's what's coming. When we come, Jesus is going to be taking over and he is going to be speaking authority and freedom into his church and he is going to be ruling and reigning. Do you know why Ananias and Sapphira died? Because there was such holy authority and glory on the church then that when confronted with their deception, we don't know if it was God who smote them down or, or I don't know when I last said smote. <laughs> Smited? I don't know if that even makes sense. It just made me laugh. We don't know if it was God or whether it was a heart attack when faced with their own deception. But this is the, this is the holiness coming on the church for the world. And we put, and then we get to just pull people out of a story which is corrosive and has money at the center and objectifies and commodifies human beings. And we say, no, you were born on planet Earth because you've got a God who loves you so much that he gave his son to win you back and join you into his unfolding symphony of love on the Earth 
through Jesus' body, which is the church. There's glory coming to the church. There's glory coming to the church. There's glory coming to the church. That's what on earth God is doing. And he's presenting Jesus to us. And he's saying, will you receive him as he is, not as you want him to be? And, you know, I I kind of, I mean, I'm a church man, but I read my Bible. The Lord isn't coming back for disconnected individuals who love Jesus. He's coming back for a bride, and that's called the church. And it breaks my heart where we've been. But you know, as well as I do, that we follow the God who is the God of crucifixion and resurrection. And I'm telling you, 2023, the resurrection is starting. It's, It's already in motion. It's begun. So, Lord, I just pray, uh, just do what you want to do. Take us further and higher. Thank you that we've not even started with all that you want to do. Thank you that we've seen barely anything yet. And I thank you that the best days really are to come and that that isn't positive self-talk, but it's because you purpose to work in such power that you will see your church ablaze and sharing the gospel far and wide, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, setting the lonely in families. You want to see us rise up and be the answers to the horrible problems of this nation. And may you find us ready, able, willing, and devoted, just as Simeon was, laying our lives down for this. I'm just telling you guys that... um, Sorry, let me just say one final thing. I know, I know that the Lord has said, not just to me, through many people over multiple decades, that this place is to be a place of his glory. I know that we are meant to be a church that looks in 21st century clothes with the same power and dynamism of the Acts Church. I just want to say... As for me and my house, I'm serving the Lord. And over our consecrated, dead to Jesus, or dead to the world, dying with Jesus at the cross. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen.